Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. This is Brian. This is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I'm joined by Dale Rucker from HGI. Dale, how are you today? I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm enjoying the excess rain we are getting in Tucson uh, this winter. We could always use more rain in the desert. Absolutely, absolutely. We had a gorgeous day here, but it's supposed to turn to rain and snow tonight. But uh, this time of year in Denver, Colorado, I'll take it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So, Dale, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your background, your education. Right. I um, well, I grew up in West Virginia, mm. and you know that's a another well-known mining state. Right. Although none of my family were involved in mining. It's a coal mining mm-hmm. state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, you know, it was all done underground, but then they went to mountaintop removal, big earthworks. Um, Growing up, we learned about mining, but only from the viewpoint of the miners and the struggles that they had to overcome in order to get uh, the rights that they deserved and not Uh, necessarily the mining process. So it's ingrained in our education when we were in junior high, um, but not uh, anything technical. I went to West Virginia Tech for a master's degree and... um, or I'm sorry, mechanical engineering degree. And um, I didn't really like mechanical engineering. There was, it was too detail oriented and the tolerances for mistakes were very tight. And I got turned on to civil and environmental engineering for my master's degree. I went to West Virginia University, um, enrolled in civil and under, under that program, I got hooked up with uh, Dr. Donald Gray, who is a water guy. That got me down the path of studying water and becoming a hydrogeologist. Huh. Yeah, so um, I loved it. I, uh, you know, compared to the scales of what we are dealing with you, in hydrogeology, you can be off orders of magnitude, for example, in yeah. your hydrology, and you still you're still okay. Yeah. <laughs> So that, that fit my thinking quite well. Uh, I graduated from WVU in 96, moved to Albuquerque. And there I worked on the waste isolation pilot plant. Uh, oh, yeah, with, yeah. Yeah, down yeah. near Carlsbad. And that was that is a repository for storing a particular type of nuclear waste. Uh, right, so right. Yeah, mostly low the, level. Uh, right. Uh, and tra- transuranic. So it's a little bit higher than than low level. It's, you know, you got your, problems, but it's a uh, debris waste. For example, the glove boxes that they use. That yeah. Yeah. So they chop those up and put them in barrels and it's, mm-hmm. it's stuff, no liquid waste at all. Yeah. Um, so there's a hydrology aspect to that. Uh, 
And then in 2000, I moved to Tucson to go to the University of Arizona to get a PhD at the Department of Hydrology and Water Resources. Uh, graduated in 2003, did a short postdoc uh, in soil physics um, and started with hydrogeophysics in 2004. And um, been at hydrogeophysics pretty much ever since with this uh, a small gap, at, you know, during the Great Recession, I went to work for uh, an engineering firm for a bit, um, but then came back to hydrogeophysics. I just, I love geophysics. I love the data that it offers. Earth science isn't known to be data rich, um, yeah, but yeah. it offers you a large amount of data and it's ambiguous and it just makes it fun to try to tease out what's going on. You have a much different background than most people that work in geophysics, and, and we'll get to that a little bit uh, later in our conversation, but it, it must give you a way different perspective than most geophysicists. Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, so I'm for, first and foremost a hydrogeologist, and for my dissertation, I did use geophysics uh, ground-penetrating radar to study mm -hmm. the movement of water and soils but when I when I approach geophysics, you know, I look at it in a hydrogeological framework. If, yeah. if problem that we're investigating, or if it's a geological problem, I look at the geophysics in a geological framework. Um, I think that allows me to provide a little bit more in-depth of a interpretation of the information that I get from geophysics than say the the, the typical geophysicist would. I would, Bye. I would think so too. Yeah, I would think so too. Yeah. yeah so, 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 well. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead and finish your thought. Well, I was gonna say that has done me well for mining, where we look at large rock piles and water. Yeah. Large rock piles, whether it's mm -hmm. tailing, spoils, waste rock, leach pads, mm -hmm. using the geophysics to track where this water is going, and um, yeah, and offer you know, a conceptual model that makes sense with regards to what they're seeing on the ground, what they're seeing in production. Um, and so then we can, after we get that data, we can get in and, and recommend some solutions uh, to their problems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what, so what all does your company do? So we're a full service geophysical firm. So we offer uh, all, all the methods. Um, we'll do borehole, we'll do surface, uh, we're getting to into airborne geophysics um, and all the techniques. So some of the newer methods like uh, NMR, nuclear magnetic resonance, or airborne electromagnetics, uh, electrical resistivity, seismics, gravity, magnetics. So um, just about every geophysical technique, uh, we will apply it. Um, a lot of the equipment we have in-house I would say our flagship method is electrical resistivity. Yeah. As the name hydrogeophysics implies, you know, we're a hydro, you know, uh, you know part hydro and part geophysics. So electrical resistivity um, is a method well suited to hydro problems. Right. It tells you where water is, but it also tells you where water isn't. That's right. Yeah. So. Or where it's conductive and where it's resistive. And, and then from there, we'll make inferences about wetness and dryness. Right. I, I think I first came in contact with your company 
uh, I don't know, a dozen years ago or something like that, when HGI was working with a guy named Tom Seal, who was advocating, and I think he still does, uh, a process called Hydrojex, which uh, is a way to get, I, I guess, secondary recovery in heat bleach facilities. And your company was mostly looking for dry areas in the heap that maybe hadn't been previously wetted. Right. So uh, back, I think it was 2007 when we first got involved in that type of work. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and we were first looking for dry and wet spots in a leach pad, a gold leach pad, where you could drill and target your um, injected barren solution. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We, we moved on to monitoring injections and seeing how far out they go, um, whether or not they're draining, and help with the design aspect of uh, putting in an entire well field. One of the one of the projects I worked, um, it wasn't my project, but I'm I'm familiar with it, and I uh, attended a site investigation or a site visit anyway. It was a heat bleach facility, and it had, or there was a plan to install up to a thousand vibrating wire piezometers. And to me, when you get up to that many pieces of instrumentation, you're just gonna you're gonna be paralyzed by all of the data you have. Where I was saying, well, what you need to do instead is to have a maybe a quarterly or semi-annual. Uh, resistivity survey and see what's happening in more like three dimensions in there. That's interesting. A thousand vibrating wire piezometers. Yeah, you're right. That's that's a, a lot of data. That's a lot of capital to put in and time time to yep. put in. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it was it was not too long after the heat bleach facility at Safford failed and suddenly pore pressures and heat bleach facilities became a big uh, topic anyway. Yeah, interesting. Um, I will say that we do have clients where we do go out either um, every six months or every year and image their leach pad just to look at changes with regards to pore pressure distribution as it would manifest in the moisture content. And moisture content is what the what would affect the electrical properties. Yep. You do resistivity in a time-lapse mode, you can compare then to a previous snapshot and isolate everything except what's changing. And what's usually changing is the is the water content. So it's a very good method to uh, uniquely understand moisture movement whenever you look at uh, collecting data through time. Yeah, and, and you know, a thousand vibrating wire piezometers is a lot of instruments, but it still doesn't tell you everywhere, especially near the face of the heap, where resistivity surveys can tell you what's in between the piezometers. So if you're if you have a heap that's I don't know, it's a huge heap, you've got piezometers every one hundred or two hundred meters, there might be something in between there that's important to you too. So I think yeah, it's, it's nice to have that fill in the fill in the gaps with the geophysics. 
Yeah. And just that you would have to have some sort of algorithm, I would think, that would be able to separate <laughs> wire is yeah. on our data automatically to say if there's a problem because having eyes on a thousand pieces of data every day that's um, exactly yeah and, and uh you stuff. know just just things that are showing you there's trends as a spiking or whatever it's all i i think it's an area where ai would come in really handy i'm not sure how you would do it but with with a thousand of any things i think you need some something with machine learning yeah right because it would be a yeah, machine learning is good at data-driven approaches and yeah. have been models, you know, um, hydrologic models developed for leach pads. Um, I've McBride, for example, she's done a lot of great work um, and published. And it's, um, I, I always think it's tenuous to build these models somewhat because of the parameterization. You know, what do you put into your models? What's the hydraulic conductivity? And where are the compacted zones? And where are the water tape? Mm -hmm. We can mm -hmm. really get that as through the geophysics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Dale, uh, the, one of the last most recent times I saw you was at the Heap Leach Conference in Reno or Sparks. And I think that was toward the end of last year and you presented a paper there that I was interested if you could kind of summarize that for us. Sure. Um, so we used electrical resistivity to look at one specific problem and that's the issue of hull roads across leaf pads. Um, over the years we probably have been on 40 or 50 leach pads and several of those uh, we've gone across uh, hull roads. Um, some of them are permanently located as they build up the leach pad. Some of them have, you know, been there for a you know, temporary one or two years or so. Yeah. And I combed through my data sets looking for, one, the, the range and variability of the um, temporal aspect of hull roads and then the spatial aspect, you know, some of these hull roads uh, can be 35 meters wide, you know, to accommodate multiple lanes of traffic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right. So um, haulage equipment uh, is heavy. Uh, so you have the cyclical component where they run over it back and forth several times a day. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a component. Um, mm -hmm. Then you add in the water trucks that, yeah. you know, that just adds to compaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The resistivity, so we mentioned before that the electrical resistivity is good at finding, you know, dry versus wet spots. And the dry yeah. spots will manifest as highly resistive material. And so going through these um, exercises of looking at these leach pads, it's pretty apparent when you overlay the location of the hull road and you can get this from Google Earth, right? So I can just go back through time and look at the yeah, locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I did this for the paper uh, and, and look at how that affects the resistive slash conductive structure of a mm -hmm. leach and directly under the hull roads if they were old and, and buried maybe they were ripped maybe they weren't but we could see them every time and 
it was clear that they were resistive, dry, likely highly compacted materials. Yeah, so the, the leach, the, the solution was just going around it because it was so low permeability. Yeah, um, it was, yes, low permeability. You're not getting any flow through it. It's going around it. And then when you just look at the volumes of material that we're talking about, and and I did have, on a couple of those, I did have uh, information about the, the residual grades that they were drilling hmm. and getting. Okay, and then, yep. Um, you know, some porosity information or density information. So estimating that it's 2% of the ore. Wow. I mean, I'm sorry, 2% of the metal is left behind in these old remnant holes. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if you're thinking as a, a leaching supervisor or mine manager, you know, I'm, I'm down 2% on my... Yeah. Well, you know, there are some obvious places. Side slopes are an obvious place that mm-hmm. are traditionally underleached. But hull roads, you know, that's, like I said, upwards of 2% of unaffected material by the, by the leaching solution. So now let's think about how we, you know, more smartly uh, deal with hull roads. I don't think it's a good di- idea to have the hull road in the same place the entire um mine life right right it causes so much damage um as far as compaction inside the leach bed and compaction is like the worst thing you can do to a leach bed because that's when you start to get water table build up and um you know solution moving sideways instead of downwards encroaching on side slopes under you know under leached areas etc so um you know I, i think if we could use this data and, and say, okay, these hull roads, these particular hull roads across the leach pad are are um, extending its uh, compaction very deep. Maybe we should either drill and put drainage wells so there can be solution through it. Maybe we move the hull road and inject inside of it because there's no way now, you know, you think about how deep a ripper is going to get. There's no yeah. way that they are able to effect deep enough with a river right 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 anything on the surface be able to yeah. leach that material. and there's yeah. there's like significant amounts of metal left behind yeah it's, it's interesting you know if you're gonna keep your haul roads in the same place for the entire life of mine you may as well make your haul roads out of waste rock instead of ore because you're not you're not going to get it back unless you do something more clever yeah and sometimes they do right they, they do make all roads out of waste rock. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how common of a, a method that is, but um, even with waste rock, it's still going to affect just general movement. Let's say, you know, to get to a, a leech pad that's six, 700 feet tall, you're going to have to start on the side slope somewhere, right? <laughs> and usually you will want solution to flow, you know, through that side slope material at some point. Um, and and leach it so you know waste rock's probably not going was never an option um and then uh getting solution to through that material to drain generally to the uh, the process pond um yeah it's it's a difficult problem to think about because you still have to top yeah 
So one of the things that was really interesting to me was that the the owner or, or project manager, whoever, shared a whole bunch of information and the reason for the project with you rather than just saying, let's go get a, a, a seismic survey and, and see what's going on here. They they actually engaged you, told you what what the goal was, what they're looking for. And based on that, you were able to much, much better give them a, a good product, knowing, knowing the the story instead of just uh, giving them some really colorful plots, which I see a lot. Uh, not not from your company, but on projects that I look at, the geophysical contractor generates these amazing appendices filled with colorful diagrams but the the owner or engineer whoever doesn't communicate to the geophysical contractor what they're looking for what what kind of surprises they're hoping not to see what what would be a good outcome they they just take these things and say okay we did this thing we got it in the appendix now put a check in the done column because we've we've done it now uh those are very good points. So I'm, I'm going to unpack that a little bit. So okay. to your first point about getting the information, um, I've turned myself into a hobbyist level metallurgist and <laughs> do my site visits to understand what a client needs as far as characterization. And we're driving around. Um, you know, maybe I catch them off guard a little bit, but I ask them specifically, you know, what's what's your reagent strength? You know, what's uh, how much barren? Uh -huh um cyanide uh, what's your you know concentrations and what's your head grades what's your residual grades and i keep a database in my mind so i can have a perspective of comparing one mine to another uh -huh, uh -huh. so then you know i write that in my notebook and that yes so then i can go back and and fill in the gaps of knowledge and information into our reports to help um further uh, and this is the second point that you brought up, the the um, the information within the geophysical sections that we provide. Not everybody's a geophysicist. Yeah. The, the uh, interpretation is, in, you know, it's, there's a lot of ambiguity in the data. And that's probably why engineers um, don't really like to use geophysics too much because of, because of that ambiguity. You can't just simply take a geophysical value and plug it into your design model. Right. Uh, the only thing that we provide is context. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd yeah. Like yeah. to take yeah. it one step further and, mm -hmm. and give a lot of context about what it could and what it what it could not be. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's good. You know, the other thing that I try to advocate for with geophysics, going back to that heap with a thousand uh, vibrating wire piezometers in it, I I think it's a better tool to put the instruments where you think you should and then operate the facility and use geophysics to see where else you need to put your instruments. Right. Yeah. So you could do, um, and, and geophysics is, is, it can't be uh, in a, in its own little, little vacuum. It works well when you have the tools like the vibrating wire piezometers. Yeah. So stand, you know, if it's conductive, what does that actually mean? Is it clay or is it water or is mm -hmm. it, you know, some sort of high ionic strength solution? Yeah. 
So yeah, so you do geophysics, locate your vibrating wire piezometer, um, put your geophysical line somewhere else, and maybe you don't need a, a piezometer in a particular location, and we were better able to help you pinpoint um, potential problem areas, I think. And that, that would be the value of the geophysics uh, yeah. about installing those piezometers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Dale, that's all really good stuff. Is, is there any um, another success story or uh, uh, some project that you were particularly proud of that you could share with us? Um, yeah, one project that I'm really proud and that I kind of showcase for the size of projects we can do is okay. in 2009, we imaged the entire Panama Canal with, oh my gosh. with resistivity. Mm -hmm. It's... We had a 500 foot long resistivity cable from the back of the boat. We um, swathed back and forth across the uh, the width of the canal. Yeah. Between the certain points, and we developed uh, 3D models uh, looking at sub bottom sediments to help with the dredging and widening. Dredging, yeah, yeah. Huh. Of the canal, and so. <laughs> Um, I published a couple papers on that. It's just, I had to get it out there for the public record. It, it's a once in a lifetime data set. Um, very unique, interesting. Uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, um, my friend Jason Greenwood actually collected the data. He worked for us. Um, he's he's working uh for another company now but you know he did a great job collecting the data and then we had a very short period of time to like process it so mm -hmm. a lot of hands on deck and it just came out to be a very nice product at the end and um, i'm very proud of that work that's pretty cool and you i, I can imagine all the uh, logistics of reeling in your 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 uh tail every time you went in and out of a lock well, we tried not to go through the locks. There's in the middle of the canal pounds uh, uh, that we could, um, you know, launch from. So that, but we did, uh, towards the end, we did go through the locks and out into the ocean and did some lines in the ocean. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah, no, that's very cool. That's very cool. And well, if you get a chance, if you haven't been to Panama, it's it's a lovely country. I, I've unfortunately only been to the airport, but you can see a lot of the downtown area, some of the, the taller structures from there, and it does yeah. look like a, a, a really good place to visit. Well, Dale, I, I I think I've asked you everything I wanted to. Is there something you wanted me to ask that I haven't? No, I think we covered it. Um, oh, great. Yeah, I appreciate the time uh, to let me talk and, and espouse about the geophysics on the leech pads. Yeah. In general. Yeah. It's, it's powerful yeah, tool. Absolutely. And if, if somebody wants to find your company website, where would they go? Uh, www.hgiworld.com. Okay. And then how about your own email address? It's D-R-U-C-K-E-R at hgiworld.com. Okay. Okay. Makes it makes it simple. All right. Perfect. Well, Dale, I know you're a busy person and there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't want to take any more of your time, but I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing this with us. 
Yeah, thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, hope to see you around at some other conference one of these days. Oh, you, yeah, you bet it. See All right. Around. All right. Thanks, Dale. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.